Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Beloved, we are blessed that you've joined us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here in warm, sunny, pleasant Southern Arizona. How are things in South Louisiana, Frank? <laughs> cool, crisp, and sunny. Uh, wow. Marvelous weather right now. <laughs> you must have the one day of the year when the humidity is below 80%. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, friends, if you've just joined us, Frank and I have been talking for the past number of weeks about a, a very difficult command that Jesus gave us through the Apostle Paul, that is, to forgive one another. And for the past several episodes, we've been talking about just exactly how the enemy can dupe us into thinking we've forgiven when we actually haven't. He's really sly, he's sneaky, and he knows just how to spin words and thoughts and circumstances so that we think we've actually done the exercise of forgiving, but we really haven't yet. And Frank, I want to pick up today with another one of those things that you like to call what forgiveness is not because there are lots of deceptions out there. Here it is. Forgiveness is not just letting things go and turning the other cheek and acting like it never happened. Frank, we got to talk about this because scripture tells us to turn the other cheek. So what's going on here? How do we bring these two seemingly contrasting points together? Oh, John, there again, the enemy is so slick. I think what we've got to do is we've got to go back to Luke chapter 4 and look at how he tempted Jesus. He tempted Jesus with scripture, but he took scripture out of context or twisted it just a little bit so that it sounded so good that it hid the lie. And this is one of those same things, John. The one good thing we've got about him is that we understand his schemes. We understand his methods. Now, he tailor makes them to our past, our unique personality, our circumstances of life, wraps them up in a bow so we don't readily see them. But they are lies wrapped up in that package. And in the context of that verse that you're talking about of turning the other cheek, Jesus was talking about the kingdom life and the kind of life that it is. It's a, a life that sacrifices itself. It's a, a life that does the best thing for another. We could really use Philippians 2 where Jesus were told by Paul to have the same mindset, the same attitude, the same conviction that Jesus had, that he lays down his life for another. 
That context in Matthew 5, John, is not about forgiveness. We've got to go elsewhere in the scripture for that. And so if you were to offend me and and you're persecuting me and I'm offering a Christ life to you, John, I would turn that other cheek, recognizing you're persecuting Christ, gladly sharing his sufferings. You strike me again. I am still obligated to forgive you from the heart as God has instructed in so many other places in the New Testament. You know, some years ago, Frank, I remember you sharing a story about uh, misunderstanding, the turning the other cheek. You described a circumstance where a young girl was abused by a neighbor, mm. the parents being Christians. Uh, do you remember this story? No, I forced couldn't forget to, it. <laughs> forced her to go back and say, I forgive you. So this that sounds like the most heinous abuse of that young child. And the horrible misuse of this scripture to torment the entire family. So can you relate that story and explain how the truth of what we're trying to say about forgiveness Mm. should have been exercised in that circumstance? Oh, yeah, John. The parents are the shepherds of the child. They are the protectors of a child, the defenders of a child. And that little girl was violated her boundaries were crushed. The rights of being a person made in the image of God. And they thought they were doing the Christian thing, the Christ-like thing, by marching her down and telling her to forgive this guy face to face. Well, John, that is a perversion of the rest of the New Testament. We know that in Luke 18, Jesus says forgiveness is a matter of the heart. So what those parents should have done was to have that child and lead her to forgive her offender. That I would have done. But there's no way I ever would have marched that little girl down and had her face her abuser and absolve him face-to-face. When you do that, you lose the opportunity to confront them, to hold them accountable for what they've done. What I would have done, Monday morning quarterback here, John, but it did happen on my watch. I knew what had happened, but I would have told those parents to either call the police or to go down and knock on that guy's door without the little girl and tell them, Look, I know what you did to my little girl. You call the police or I will. But either way, John, the police should have been called. That man prosecuted, held accountable for what he did, forgiving him from the heart, but loving him in the best way possible, which would be to hold him accountable. That would have protected the little girl, defended the little girl, and communicated to her great value and great significance because somebody stood up for her when she was wrong. John, I just shuddered and wonder whatever happened to that little girl. You know, the enemy's right there. I've seen what he does to other people. I know what he's done to me. I wonder if he didn't get into her little thought life and say, boy, this must have been my fault. Nobody ever defended me. Nobody ever protected me. 
I must not be a very valuable person. And it degenerates from there. Yeah. You know, listening to you tell that story again, it just inflames the same emotions that I felt when I first heard it. Two thoughts come to mind, Frank. You hit on one of them, that it leaves the offended party, the wounded party, it leaves them in their wound. There's no healing. They just leave there and they scar. They don't heal and they go through life thinking, I'm just a scarred person. Of course, somebody did this to me. It's probably going to come again. I better get used to it. I'm not worth anything more. That's a horrible thing. But just as horrible in a way is that if we don't confront the person who wounds us, if Father calls us to do that, we will confirm that person in their offense. And we will simply say we're going to empower them to do more of it to other people. So there are two things we've got to do. And you said it plainly. We've got to step in and defend and work to restore the wounded. And Galatians chapter 6 is so clear on how we step in and start to restore those that have been wounded. But we have got to stop the offender in their tracks. And sometimes that involves boldly confronting them. Sometimes in a legal arena, as you just described, sometimes in a family circumstance, sometimes in a work environment. But if someone does this repeatedly and they did it to you, chances are they're going to do it to the next person who comes along. And love for our fellow man compels us to protect them, defend them, and do all that we can to stop this from happening again. And the more I talk, the more my blood boils. So I'm going to be quiet now. <laughs> you know, John, I'm glad you elaborated. Um, the enemy is just so slick at perverting Father's word. Uh, he'll try to make you think that if you confront somebody like that, if you have them arrested, that you're not forgiving. And that's a lie. I remember years ago, I attended a sexual abuse seminar for counselors. And that was the thesis of the entire weekend. The only true path to healing for sexually abused people is one, to forgive their offender. I agree with that from the heart. But two, to boldly love your offender. And that means doing the best thing for them. And that would be to hold them accountable for what they've done. And uh, John, I think this is going to tie in to one of the others you've got today. Forgiving them doesn't mean we walk up to the door and say, hey, I forgive you. Oh, uh, yeah. Because the moment we do that, we've lost the opportunity to hold them accountable. Because then we say, oh, by the way, I'm going to have you arrested. Well, wait a minute. I thought you forgave me. <laughs> I did. <laughs> but now I'm going to hold you accountable. See, we withhold that expression. Maybe it's time to bring that one in. <laughs> okay, yeah. There's another one, uh, another deception that the enemy can weave at us. And forgiveness is not simply telling your offenders you forgive them. Now, Frank is talking about a certain circumstance. I'm going to begin, Frank, with another. That is just so they'll go away and leave you alone. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, just know you're bothering me. Yeah, it's a pain in the backside, but just go away. I'll deal with it myself. Just get out of my face. 
And so, mm-hmm. yes, I forgive you. Just, just go. And so I see that sometimes as uh, someone with just impatience and tolerance. They don't want to deal with this anymore. They want to quickly sweep things under the rug and try to move on to their life as best they can. And I've mm-hmm. seen that a lot among people, among uh, family members. But the one you're talking about, about withholding in your hip pocket so that they still have a chance to be held legally accountable for what they did, that's a little different twist. Uh, Unravel Mm. that for us if you can. Well, John, first, I, I do so appreciate what you brought up because I've seen it too. I've done it myself. When I say, look, I forgive you, Sometimes we're just saying, I want out of this discussion. It's painful. It's time consuming. And I just want out. And that's not really forgiving one another. Again, we have to apply that principle. You can't fully give away what you don't fully own. And so the issue may need to be discussed, perceptions offered, and then a deep heartfelt releasing of the wound. So I'm so glad you brought that up. This other aspect to this, where you don't tell someone, if you tell someone you forgive them, but then you continue to hold it against them, pursuing a repentance on their part, or some sort of a recompense on their part, then you're going to cause a lot of confusion because you've told them you forgive them, but now you're not restoring them. And so I always counsel people back to Luke 18 again, forgiveness is an issue between you and God. And so I can forgive somebody, release the debt, grace them as I've been graced, and never even express that to them unless it comes up in a conversation or there's a need to down the road. Then I can tell them, hey, I do forgive you. Once the restoration or the recompense has come into play. So forgive from the heart, withhold an expression of it until there is an opportunity for you to express that forgiveness in a powerful, meaningful, and complete wrapping up of whatever event it was that brought about the need for forgiveness in the first place. John, I share a funny story. It was a young man. Well, it wasn't funny to him, but he was really holding against his father that his father had sent him to military school for his high school years. And there wasn't a lot of communication between the two of them. It wasn't the greatest relationship. So when the father announced he was going to military school, the kid bit the stiff upper lip and went to military school, but seethed for four years while he was gone. He wanted to be with his friends. So finally, early 20s, he's in for counseling. Again, they don't have a great relationship to begin with. And he realizes he's holding it against his father that his father sent him to military school. So finally, he gets up the courage, goes to the father and says, I forgive you for sending me to military school. And the father goes ballistic. You forgive me for sending you to military school? I took two jobs to send you to military school, to be able to 
afford it. Don't you remember when you were a little kid, four, five, six years old, all you could talk about was going to military school. <laughs> so this poor relationship with very little communication, but here's the heart of a dad going, I'm going to honor that wish of my kid. But they have such poor communication, the kid and the dad never talk. But now there's a great wound because the dad was so sacrificial and the kid thought he was being rejected. We yeah. are a strange bunch, John. Oh, this indeed thing we are. People. Some of us are really stranger than others, too. <laughs> okay, here's the last one. And you've hinted at this already. And it is forgiveness is not restoring your offender. You know, if we forgive them. It's not saying, okay, everything's perfect. It's as if it never even happened. Restoration, as we've said already a number of times over these episodes, is a separate transaction from forgiveness. I'm drawn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is where Paul describes exactly how God manages this with us. He says, mm -hmm. uh, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Okay, so God did everything possible on his part to restore mankind to him. Mm -hmm. All the obstacles are taken out of the way. The sins are all paid on the cross by the Savior. And so as far as God's concerned, he has taken down every barrier. And now Paul says, now I beg you, reconcile yourselves to God. Mm -hmm. And so God forgave, but reconciliation is not a one-way thing like forgiveness is. It's a two-way street. God does not restore people without repentance. And as you said many times already, neither should we. So, mm. you know, as we're wrapping up this section on the lies about what forgiveness is not, uh, it's our task to really do everything we can to forgive them and to pave the way for restoration should they ever repent. But really, we're waiting on them to do that. That's exactly what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5, how Father works when he deals with us, isn't it? Mm. John, this is probably the biggest issue that I have found over the years with people in terms of a hindrance to them forgiving. And that is that they have been taught and I was taught, I heard it from pulpits. When you forgive someone, you have to restore them. And if you don't restore them, you haven't forgiven. And so John, oh my goodness, that has kept people from forgiving because the offenses were so great. They didn't understand that, as you noted, these are two separate issues. And they rightfully so did not want to restore these people because there was no repentance on their part, but it kept them from forgiving. And then there are, on the flip side of that, the people that did the forgiving, quote unquote, and did the restoring without holding them accountable for their behavior and so they feel violated again, abused again. And that's an abuse that's unnecessary. 
that's coming about from a failure to understand this incredible passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. John, there are people that once I learned this truth, I wasn't able to forgive them because I thought I had to restore them and they were unrepentant. And so inside of me was this sense of violation to which I would stand against God and say, I'm not going to forgive them, God. And it was that false teaching, that scheme, that wile of the enemy that was keeping me bound. And once I saw 2 Corinthians 5, that God doesn't restore people without repenting, then I said, oh my goodness, those pastors were trying to make me do more than God does. And it instantly freed me to forgive them without restoring them. Now, John, that doesn't mean I haven't tried. Uh, I have contacted some of these people and I have boldly loved them, calling them to repentance. They refuse to repent, so I do not restore them. And here's the key. I haven't told them I forgive them either. Yeah. Because as we talked about earlier, that would confuse them and it would rob me of the opportunity to continue to boldly love them and hold them accountable. Now, here's what's going to happen. When they finally repent, which I hope for, they come to me and say, Frank, I was wrong. Please forgive me. I can tell them, oh, dear person, I forgave you 15 years ago. But now we can start taking the steps towards restoration. Frank, what you just described is absolutely liberating. It truly is. Because when it comes to forgiveness, our freedom is in our own hands. We mm. control it. And when we forgive, it cuts the ties to the offender. And as we'll see next time, my friend, when we begin to talk about exactly how to forgive, because all of these, I don't know, 11, 12 weeks have been just build up to how to do it, we'll see that it's extremely liberating beyond what we can imagine. But it is indeed a journey because just as the enemy has not given up on us to try to deceive us about forgiveness, he will not stop bringing up those offenses either, even after we've forgiven. And so right. your last observation, my friend, was absolutely liberating. Uh, to the body of Christ, that they Look, can walk yeah. in freedom. John, it's it's right out of the message of John the Baptist. Repent and then bring forth the fruits of repentance. It's the same message of Acts to believe and then prove your belief. Go be baptized. It's not that baptism is to get saved. It's a fruit that you are. It's the same message of James. You say you have faith. Prove it with your works. Demonstrate it. And when it comes to an offense, you say you were wrong. You apologize. Prove it. Bring forth the fruit. Offer up a restitution. You know, John, years and years ago, I was uh, involved in a situation within a church where two ladies got up in arms with the leadership of the church and one of them said to me, I'm leaving. 
And they did. Well, that would have been fine. But what they then did was try to bring 20 or 30 families to leave with them. And, you know, Romans 16 is so clear. Mark those who cause division and, and separate them. So they were causing division. Well, my final meeting with them, I told them, by the way, you always have a home here if you ever want to come home. Well, it ended up that only those two women left. Everybody else stayed. But years later, one of those women called me up and said, do you remember what you said to me when I left? I said, yes, I do. They said, did you mean it? I said, well, I wouldn't have said it if I didn't mean it. And they said, can I come home? And I said, yes, but we need to talk. John, she was repentant. She acknowledged she was wrong. I had already forgiven her years earlier. But what I had her do was go to all the people she had gossiped to and set the record straight. Yeah. That wasn't a punishment. It was a bringing forth the fruits of repentance. Right. You know, it's like this couple that we talked about with that little girl. One of the things I would have counseled them to do is make that abuser pay for that little girl's counseling. Your repentance, your restitution should be in harmony with the offense. And I believe that's a, a biblical model from the Old Testament, which is certainly appropriate to carry over into the new. That's right. You know, when our kids were little, we would train them to say the following. I was wrong. Please forgive me. And then the last question. How can I make it right? Well, that's so, a good word. You know, <laughs> how can I make it right? And of course, when you're young kids, it's easy. But the concept is still there. I, I've wounded you. What do I need to do to restore our relationship? And so that's how we trained our kids. Whether they still walk, boy, I certainly hope they do. But <laughs> that's how they were brought up. You know, John, it's easy to say, I'm sorry. When I counsel people, teach people, I tell them, don't start off with that phrase. If you think about it, John, I feel bad. Well, you, you would probably be saying, you should feel bad. What you did was horrible. <laughs> when you say, I'm sorry, it puts the attention on you. And it's much better to say, I was wrong. I hurt you. And then you can say, I'm sorry. But the sincerity of the sorry is proven by that final statement. What do I need to do to make it right? That is so huge in terms of offering a full and complete restoration between a wounded party and the one who did the wounding. Yeah, because when I hear that, I know I'm dealing with someone who truly has repented and wants to do everything they can to bring things back to where they were before and restore, mm -hmm. maybe even improve. Yeah. Friends, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Rough topic, forgiving others, but we trust that these episodes have been freeing, challenging, and most importantly, that they lead you to Jesus Christ, who is your very life and who is the only one 
as Titus 2 promises, the grace of God is the only one who can train you to live a life that gives glory to God. And certainly forgiving our offenders gives glory to God. Mm. You'll find us on our website, OurResoluteHope.com. Go and check us out. Look around there. If the podcast has ministered to you, we encourage you to pray for us. And if you're led, click the donate button right there at the top right corner on our website. And look around. There are lots of resources there. We encourage you to sign up for our newsletter. We do not send out many, maybe one a month, sometimes two, but usually one. And these are not just updates of the ministry. They really are kind of like uh, mini devotionals, generally focused on some thought that Frank or I have. And we want to share that with you as we walk together through a challenging valley and <laughs> trusting our Father and leaning on Him as our rod and our staff. Check us out on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. And as always, we give you the same reminder as we close from Hebrews chapter 6, that we have a hope. No matter what happens, no matter how painful the wound, we have a hope. And that hope is not fleeting. It's an anchor. It's a living hope. It's a resolute hope. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.